Welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raph Giallo here. We're back from hiatus and going to be flying into the challenges of 2024. It's a big year with the Euros, Champions League, League of Ireland and so much more to come. So as ever, we'll be coming to you weekly during the year and sometimes more often than that. You can subscribe, watch or listen in on RT.ie, YouTube, Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, while we've been away for the last couple of months, an Ireland women's senior manager has been confirmed and that's Eileen Gleeson, of course. And then the men's vacancy is yet to be filled. But with the Nations League draw on Thursday acting as a loose deadline, or at least it was um, before some of the events of last week, it seems an appointment may be imminent, um, although we will define what imminent means uh, as we go along today. But um, I'm joined today by the 42.ie journalist David Snaid and also RT Sport Online's Anthony Pine. And Anthony, I suppose I'll come to you first. Um, just on the men's senior manager in this hunt for the replacement uh, to Stephen Kenny. And the last couple of months really has been a story of what's been unsaid as opposed to what's actually been said on the record. Yeah, I mean, we've had, you know, last couple of weeks, there's conflicting reports around the, the, the chase for, for Lee Carsey, which is what it seems to have materialised into now, really. He's, he's clearly the number one choice. Um, there's people around Lee Carsey, I'm thinking of, of David Connolly in particular, who will be close to him. And you'd, you'd assume is, is speaking to him pretty regularly. And and the feeling is that uh, he needs to be sold on this. And and it's, it's I, I think if he really wanted it, Raf, he would now be the Ireland manager. He's, been, he's so obviously the, the, the top target. But at the same time, he's in a position of strength because he'll know his own value. Um, He will have options. He's, a, you know, he's, he's the England under 21 head coach. He's very, very well regarded there. Um and you know maybe the sticking point is is salary at this point maybe he's holding out for a little bit more would expect a little bit more, um but you know it it's dragged on probably longer than we anticipated and it, the FA would clearly hope to have a resolution sooner rather than later but like we 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 don't really know I mean it just seems every day now something's coming up you're hearing that he's definitely going to get it and uh, then it's now he's gone cold on it um it does look like he's it's potentially the FA would have a confidence that they're going to get this over the line. But, um, you know, you'd wonder what happens if they don't, because, you know, the, the next name on the list is Neil Lennon. Um, I, I think David has spoken about this and, and we'll speak about this in a little more detail, I'm sure. But like it, it's that in itself is a little bit disconcerting because they're two very different types of managers, two, two very different types of coaches. So, you know, the overall grand plan here is, is, is a little, Confusing. What what are they looking? At? What is the brief? When Eileen Gleeson was appointed as the the women's head coach, and, and we sat down with Eileen and and Mark Cannon, there was a clear brief for that role, and and she ticked enough boxes to get the job. It wasn't just that she'd won six games out of six in the Nations League. She's buying into um, Mark Cannon as as the director of football. He has a plan and a vision for how the teams internationally should be aligned. Um, and one of the things after the World Cup was that they wanted to reduce the average age of the squad. And there, there are things that she would be strong on and would have a strong, a strong buy on, buy in, excuse me, uh, into. Uh, whereas the men's role, um, you know, I would have assumed that the, the, a similar kind of brief applies here. But if you're looking at Lee Cardsy as your number one target, and then if we're to believe the bookies, Neil Lennon is the next man up. It do, doesn't seem like the same sort of consistency. Um. Well, we'll we'll see what happens in the next few days. You'd expect white smoke in the next week, but then again, that the way things have played out in the last sort of month in particular, there's no guarantee about that either. 
No, certainly not. And of course, uh, as I said, loose deadline would have been earlier on. It would have been for this Thursday, the Nations League draw. But also uh, they would want someone in place for the friendlies in March uh, against Belgium, which is on the 23rd of March, and then Switzerland on the 26th. And David, before we get to the point of what uh, differentiates Carsley, who appears to be the main candidate, and then Neil Lennon, who appears or has been reported as being the fallback option, uh, the one thing to take away is the amount of bargaining power Lee Carsley certainly has here, where it seems that the FAI are more coming to him than the other way around. And then the other the other aspect as well, just how the FAI have managed to actually keep a lid on things, which was perhaps a little bit unexpected. Yeah, because like... If you go back, it's it, even like again, I was writing about this even like last week or even just the week before, where in fairness, like, like Jonathan Hill laid it out very, very early in terms of what they wanted to happen. That he was the one who put this date on, obviously, for the draw of having the new manager in place once the draw was made for the Nations League and then using the games in March as the beginning of that preparation. I don't think I, I don't it was I was a little bit surprised that he kind of came out and said that because I was because in my mind then I'm thinking right if if he's they're coming out already saying something like that they've clearly identified like who they want to speak to who like what's going to happen in terms of also sounding out in terms of well do you know what this person wants the job because if you look back like it's not as if he even we go back to say November time and he, early December when this happened it's not a case of when Stephen Kenny's contract wasn't renewed and that was announced that the FA were all of a sudden, oh, okay, now we have to search for a manager. It had been pretty obvious for a couple of months, even before that. You go back to that Stephen Kenny's contract wasn't going to be renewed the way the, the uh, qualifying campaign for the Euros had gone. So, like, this was pretty much known. You go back, I think it was in the September time when when Mark Cannon, the director of football, did that joint press conference with Jonathan Hill. And that was also in terms of dealing with the fallout from Vera Powell and, and he was kind of, expl- Mark Cannon was explaining why Vera Powell departed and kind of Anthony touched on it there, laying out essentially what the new manager for the men's team was going to be as well in the sense of they wanted someone who was going to be working within the structures of the FAI with that coaching plan and, and what's going to be in place there and to be the head of that. Do you know what I mean? That's part of the reason why they kind of justified getting rid of Vera, well, not re- renewing Vera Pell's contract. And like, obviously they're, they're two separate positions, but you can't you can't really differentiate in terms of what they want from each, from each one because it was pretty much laid out that Vera Pell was a kind of an outlier in the association of how she operated. It was very much a case of she did things her own way and that was, it was her way and, and that was it. Whereas, they want this destruction now within the FAI of everything up being joined up thinking. <clears throat> Pardon me. That's what you see now with the men's job. You see, I remember seeing a report in the Independence that they said they want the senior manager, the men's manager to have a base in Abbottstown. I think people kind of misconstrued that as a way of saying, well, they want them just to be living in Ireland or and full-time. It's not. It's more so about having that presence where it feels as if everything is kind of together. And that's maybe could be part of the reason maybe why Lee Carsley because he is the he is the one the number one target he's been the one who they identified and he's the one who for the last number of months it's kind of blown hot and cold from the point of view of him being a little bit reticent then obviously you're seeing it uh, even early this year where he was kind of being reported that yeah he was close to taking the job and then there was briefings coming from the English FA that no he'd actually turned it down when actually that hadn't quite being the case and it has just led to a general sense of confusion that's what I was writing about as well in the sense of like they identified our main target and if they're getting mixed messages there 
that's when obviously as as and Jonathan Hill said they had spoken to various people back in December of who they wanted wanted to obviously chat to and that's obviously when Neil Lennon had come into it a bit more he clearly has interviewed very well for it in terms of what they've spoken to because that's the reason why he's still in the mix partly also because unless something happens in the next in the next few days or even in, in the next week that deadline that Jonathan Hill had established of 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 this week to name the manager isn't going to be met but I don't think that necessarily they should be holding be, be to be beholden to that. And if Lee Carsley throws them down, they say, "Well, right, we just go to the go to whoever has shown the most interest in, in the job." After they have to make sure that it fits into the plan of of where they're going. And then another point on that is we'll probably see another element of this is when because there has been so much going on between the Rockets hearings and all the rest of it. But also Mark Cannon might be working on the player pathway plan for the FAI, which is the short, medium, and long term goal of where he wants to see Irish football so you would you would think ideally when that's going to because that was due to I think that had due to be kind of released and, and set up last month because of then obviously the various the managers the men's manager and also um with Eileen Gleeson getting the women's job that had been pushed back then to, to this month I don't think I could be wrong but I don't think there's a definitive date there's been sounds that it will be released in February which obviously is this month at some point you would like to think then of, of, of part of that that can be announced and they'll know then who the senior manager is going to be because they, that's a, a very important kind of document for essentially laying out the short, medium and long term plan for, for Irish football and you would think by that point then that it will be this month that, that something will, will will happen but and then the truth of it is we, you, you're chatting through you still, we can't still, still can't say for certain if Lee Carsley is the person who actually wants the job now which is a Strange one that it's kind of gotten to this point. Do you know what I mean? That it's gotten to this point where you're kind of still waiting. It's clear then that he is the one who they've the FAI have settled on because they're willing to push things out and push things out and not move on. And in itself, kind of will bring another element of pressure to uh, to him when he does get the job because like he turns he's he turns fifty later this month. He's only a couple of years. He's only a couple of years longer than younger than Neil Lennon. He has a lot more has a lot more experience and. Um, I don't know, it just kind of, with each passing kind of week and all the rest of it, it kind of just adds another element of, I, I feel that if he does eventually take the job, Lee Carsley, pressure because they're saying, well, this is the fellow the FAI have, have hung their hat on. He's the one who can has clearly, is clearly kind of taking his time and wants to be very considerate about what he wants to wants to do and, and weigh everything up. And then if he does take it, like I said, I've said this previously, like it's got, it is no matter how you judge it, it's a, it's a huge risk for him and his own career because at the moment he's seen as his up and coming manager and maybe bright ideas and has been successful and very quickly that kind of perception can change. Yeah, and uh, let's say he doesn't take it, and then the reporting, of course, has been earlier. I suppose earlier in the in the, the hunt for the new manager, Chris Hewton was the one that was being linked as the fallback option. That moved to Neil Lennon. The muddled thinking, perhaps, uh, if one's looking at it, is potentially the fact that Lennon represents a very different option then, as Anthony sort of outlined at the beginning there, to what Lee Carsey represents, as given his experience working within a structure in England, uh, within the U-teams. Neil Lennon's had a very different experience uh, as a manager. Where do you where do you land on that debate? Yeah, like that, this is even, just even from, from looking through, kind of obviously, like Neil Lennon's been a senior manager for the past 14 years, on and off. You know, and like Lee Carsley 
hasn't. He's worked obviously with the England under twenty ones, and he's been very successful there. He's kind of been in a, a different at club levels. But this, as you say, like that perception seems to be now that you know Neil Lennon is this kind of almost kind of it's 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 almost cruel to say it, but a, a, a tired appointment. Does that make sense in the sense of he's not seen as someone who is more so at the forefront of where the game is going? Yeah, he's a had, bit old school sort of in in that sense. Yeah, and whether that's whether that's the case because like you speak, you hear people who have maybe worked with him more so even in saying punditry, and they'll they'll point to someone who during games is very tuned in, is very kind of alert to seeing understanding how a game is going and and what can be happening and stuff in in games. So like he has impressed people who he's worked with that way. You look at his career, it's kind of felt as making this point before that maybe oh he's at a stage where he has obviously been a manager for quite a long time and the last couple of years has just been a little bit almost a bit, a bit of drift. Obviously obviously when he left Celtic the first time he goes to bold and has a couple of years there then goes back up to Scotland with Hibs, goes back to Celtic then has that spell in Greece with with um, Ammonia and then that ends and he hasn't had a job for a couple of years and it just feels as if like I'm going back to what Mark Cannon was saying where he wants this kind of head coach figure who is going to be at the forefront of driving where the senior team is, is going but obviously working within the parameters underneath that with the, with the underage coaches what Stephen Kenny had been doing um, and it just it, it just doesn't feel as if that Neil Lennon fits that criteria. I don't know, again, that we told you wrong. And this is the reason, again, in terms of interviewing for the job and what he's laid out himself, he's clearly, if he has risen up the kind of the, the pecking order in that in the actual candidates list, he's clearly given enough kind of indications to the people within the FAO who are making this decision. Well, that actually he's not too dissimilar to Lee Carsley in terms of how he's going to operate. It just feels looking at where he is in his career as a manager, he's not that kind of up and coming exciting appointment that people are expecting purely because of what's on what's already been outlined by the FAI and what they're looking for. Yeah. Like, there yeah, is so a thing, sorry, sorry, I just to expand on, on David a little bit, David's point there a little bit. Like there's a thing about um personality and the persona of managers that is really important as well, whether you like it or not, it, it just is like a lot of people have their mind up, made up about Neil Lennon before he even takes yeah. the job because he's been so he, he's been in the public realm for so long. Even although he hasn't worked for a couple of years, he is working as a pundit. Uh, so some people are going to be all for him, other people won't. So he's not going to come in. For example, Stephen Kenny had an, an enormous amount of goodwill when he came into the job, and it sustained them for a long time, like almost to the bitter end. Uh, there was a large faction that really were behind him and and willed him to do well. Um, I, and this might sound a little unfair. I'm, I'm not sure Neil Lennon will get something like that. Um, Lee Carsey is a blank, a blank slate. Like we, we don't really know much about him in terms of how he deals with the media. He, he keeps quite a low profile in that regard. Uh, so I would say, you know, for someone like Lee Carsey, if, if he's going to come in and if he does get this job, like the FBI might want to sit down and kind of work on that side of it with him because he's not... The advantage that Neil Lennon would have is that he is he has worked in pressure cooker environments, so he's used to it. He's used to that bubble, particularly at, obviously at Celtic. Uh, I I think Stephen Kenny, uh, he he never really. Uh, I don't think he really did himself justice in terms of how smart and articulate he is as a person, in post match interviews in particular. Sometimes he was a little, he was he, he was kind of, he looked hesitant and and. Uh, you know, people make their own their minds up about things like that because you got to remember with, with a national team, any national team, you're going to have a big chunk of people who just come on board for these games who who 
didn't really know much about Stephen Kenny. So I think if, if Carsey was to get this, uh, it might be worth someone in the FAI sitting him down and, and maybe even doing a bit of media training. When I'm not, that's not the sound like condescending or anything. Obviously, he played in the Premier League. He'd be used to dealing with the media. But this is this is something different. Like when you're stepping into the, the headline, he hasn't had a manager's job. He hasn't been in the spotlight in this way before. Um, and I just think that kind of thing matters now, you know, probably more than ever. There's such a glare on these positions, on any yeah. high-profile position. It is very much sort of perception and then projection and how you put yourself across sometimes can be half the battle. And I was going to make that point, actually, yeah, Anthony, just in terms of, you know, we're talking about Lennon and Carsley and sort of their backgrounds and like Carsley's lack of experience, uh, let's say at senior club management level. Neil Lennon has a bit of that, but then there are people who would question his achievements at Celtic, particularly uh, in his uh, in his second spell. But then you look back at international managers, both for Ireland and further afield in the past, and you would say like Jack Charlton, Mick McCarthy, and then let's say the Argentina manager, Lionel Scaloni. It's not like they were coming with a, a this kind of huge and massively impressive CV. They, they've all done all right in the game, but... Uh, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes having this huge CV doesn't necessarily mean much when the actual job starts. Yeah, because it's a very different type of job, you know, to, compared to club management, it's different. You've got short windows where you have to try and make an imprint on a team in a really tight space of time. So it would help if you've got a really clear vision of what you want to do and you know how to implement that. And that's that's what Lee, that's why Lee Carsey is so strongly in the conversation. Because he's done that with the England under twenty ones. Now, what he's done with the England under twenty ones, he's he's doing obviously at, at that age grade, but also with an unbelievable crop of players. Like the the technical ability ability of the players he's working with, he's not going to have that with Ireland. That's just the reality, and that's ultimately where Stephen Kenny fell down because I don't think he was fluid enough um, to to really find a solution of of sort of having this style of play but being a little more pragmatic. He never really cracked that. Uh, and his in-game management at times was was could have been better. You know, he wasn't he didn't he wasn't brilliant at reacting to when things were were going against Ireland. Um, now it's hard. It's hard with what you're working with. You know, Ireland are our team, a squad that are largely largely made up of championship players. Uh, and obviously we've got some some young players with lots of potential. But like it's 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 a tricky job for people. It's going to be difficult for whoever whoever takes it. But like the the thing you'd say about Carsley. And I think more so than than the other candidates mentioned, that like he does have a very clear way of playing. I think I think anybody was what are we going to expect from Carsley? Like it's you just have to watch how the under twenty ones play, the England under twenty ones play, and also importantly, and I think this is important, it's not radically different to what we've been trying to do under Stephen Kenny. Now I I wanted Ireland, I would hope that they they get somebody who takes the best of what Kenny has done, and he has done good things, but obviously trying to prove that just in terms of pragmatism and being just being harder to beat. But yeah. but even even on that point about say winning games and, and Stephen Kenny how he was reacting. And you're right, there's there was times obviously the one game that stands out would be the, the Holland game, the, the Netherlands at, at home and obviously the Dutch changed the formation at half time. But there was also a sense through the campaign that with regards to the players that the Gorland were very at times just naive, just as players and that there was like there wasn't really that kind of know-how a lot of time when like when Seamus Coleman missed the back end of that campaign, it really showed. Like I don't think it was a, a surprise that when he wasn't there, that they just hadn't got that same just like anger and all the misfits around, just that little bit of grit. Because like obviously there was such a, an influx of of new players who are still very who are still very um kind of inexperienced at at that level. And like that's a 
like that was a factor that even in, in my old thinking for well where do you go with the, with the manager's job for this do you go with someone who is going to come in and like not be learning on the job because like Lee Carsey is an, an extremely experienced coach and obviously at the 21's level is used to has been has been successful but like do you come in and try and have a manager who gets more out of the players in, in that regard but then I don't think that really is necessarily going to be the case at international level because it's going to be a case of, well, how they progress at club level, how much football they're playing there, and then bit by bit just gaining that experience themselves. Because they're international players, there's certain basics and fundamentals in the game that you just demand from them or just expect as a given. But maybe when they're playing against more experienced players, that little bit of know-how is kind of is there. And you, you would be surprised, I wouldn't be surprised as like... That's something obviously like Lee Carsey is clearly very thoughtful fella about not clear he's not one of these had those other options for other jobs previously in terms of you look at say Birmingham City and Stoke City where had 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 been mentioned as kind of people who were interested in him. Like he's not someone who clearly just wants to take the next job and climb the ladder as, as quickly as possible. He's obviously looking and assessing, you would think during the process with the squad and, and where Ireland are at. And obviously it'll help obviously with the with the Euros in terms of for for the next Euros that more than likely Ireland will be will be in there obviously as one of the as, as one of the co-hosts. And there is an element as well if you look at it of job security because again it's, it's looking it's going to be a four and a half year contract. That's going to be a selling point. And that's going to be another thing for for coaches that actually like, having that security isn't going to be there in, in club football. Like you could be gone after half a bad season. Like he's gonna have time to have that bit of an imprint. And you would imagine that that's something that he's going to be considering because his next job he's not going to have that element of of security that he's gonna go to, and you would think naturally, like because I said, like he's gonna be fifty soon, he's gonna have to make that step eventually. Does he feel that that's the next step to take with with Ireland? Does he feel as if if he does that with Ireland, the work he does that he'll be able to continue on? Because let's be honest, for someone you would think for him, it's not gonna be his last job. It's not gonna be like the pinnacle for him. That's just the nature of it. Like he's gonna probably think, well, what's in front of him in the next couple of years with this job at Ireland that could see him go somewhere else or because eventually let's be honest like the Premier League and stuff is is the is the kind of is the aim you would you would you would imagine and he's even I'm saying that but then you look at it he's obviously well regarded within that within that English system for the last number of years as well. Like Gareth Southgate isn't going to be in the main in, in the senior job for in within the next couple of years. You, you imagine after the uh after the Euro the World Cup he, he could be gone like He's probably thinking, well, assessment is he actually in the mix for that? Because the English FA have clearly gone down a route of, I know Gareth Southgate had managed previously, obviously in the in the Premier League, but they're obviously want to keep it within their own structures as well. So he's clearly had a lot to think about, um, in terms of assessing his own options. You know, it's not just right. This is the next big big job. We see it as a big job. Let's be honest in the grand scheme of where it is in football, it, it it's not. You know, it's that's that's just being brutally honest about it. But he clearly wants to has taken his time to assess it and. Going back to my original point on it, I just think with each kind of week that he doesn't make that decision or the FAI haven't got it, it just adds to the pressure if eventually he does come in and take the job. And I suppose the final point on this before we move on to other things, I suppose in the absence of white smoke uh, from FAI HQ, but the, um, David, I mean, the, uh, the I suppose the main aspects in terms of the, the job remit, that, remit then will be emotional intelligence, I suppose, is probably the biggest thing at international level, given the lack of training sessions that are there, and then also the makeup of a backroom team. And it's not quite clear who either of these candidates would be bringing on board. 
Yeah, well, like that, well, that's well, that's another element to it as well. Like again, that would that would be something that you would you would imagine over the last little while in terms of has been broached with the FAI. Like you cannot they not they have to have that picture in mind of who who is who is going to be coming in. And if you look at the at the England under twenty ones, wasn't it? He's working with Ashley Coles. It was in there with him. Yet you would think he's going to have a bring in a staff with him, who like who he trusts, but also. Like you literally made a point there about the timing. Like he's gonna want to have staff around who knows how how they work because he's gonna be coming into a new environment. He hasn't worked within the FAI obviously since he was a, a player, which is obviously a number of years ago. But that was obviously completely different. So he's gonna be coming into an environment where he's gonna be wanting to have people around him who and it's whoever the manager is who just hit the ground running and get into things as quickly as possible. And that's another element I would say of why I would be maybe not wanting to appoint Neil Lennon as well because he actually hasn't got that experience of, say, the international, at international level in terms of a manager. Obviously, he, he's an experienced former international and he has all that understanding as a player of like how camps and all would be running. But that's where I'm kind of feeling. You kind of want the manager who knows, you were saying about the emotional intelligence and all the rest of it, but even just just the basis of the best way of utilising as a coach and a manager, that, that time that you do have together, because he's going to be learning a little bit about players as well. So that's why as well, I would say, someone who has that already, that, that level of experience is so important. Yeah, and uh, before we move on to the, the Ireland women's and obviously uh, fixtures confirmed for later this month, uh, some of the transfers in recent times involved in some of the senior internationals, David, I mean, Adam Ida, I saw some clips of his debut um, at Celtic. I know... Um, I know Chris Sutton probably wasn't had a sort of dim view of it in in regards to maybe it wasn't uh, the revelatory signing that Celtic were looking for. But then the other in the other direction, then Mikey Johnston goes on loan to yeah. to West Brom. Joe Hodge scores on his debut, going on loan from Wolves to QPR, and then Sam Curtis has finally made the move and he's got Sheffield United. So um, obviously he's not a senior international at this point, but he's one that we're looking to in the future, uh, hopefully kind of developing. But uh, what have you made of all those um, all those moves? I suppose more so Ida and Curtis in particular yeah well I suppose like for Ida it was just a sense like it just felt like for him for the last little while he just needed to play regular football and get into that rhythm of games because we've seen flashes of him with Ireland where he's looked really really impressive and he's looked like you can see why Stephen Kenny had so much faith in him like you go back one of the, the game um, saved me away to, to Portugal in Faro a few years ago now like when he led the line in that game this is obviously Pre, pre, uh, Evan Ferguson. You're kind of looking, thinking, right? This is a fellow who, please God, stays injury free, gets a running games, and just career can, as as I was making the point earlier, develop. And he just hasn't been able to do that. It's been injury had an issue with his back, which is obviously always a bit of a worry. He just hasn't been able to kind of kick on and and just get that rhythm of playing consistently. I remember there was a point. Remember when when Daniel Fark was the Norwich manager. Um and oh, I can't. I'm almost, I'm almost certain it would have been the season when they were in the Premier League. I think he had like the lowest. amount he was saying he had the lowest amount, fewest amount of minutes on the training pitch. Even at a meeting in terms of how we could train, and that was at a point where like that was kind of in, in, that was a few years ago now. But that kind of an indication of just not able to kind of kick on your career. And this is another element that international managers have to be able where you can see some of the 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 kind of the, the talent that's there, but. If they're if they're not playing consistently, it's going to be very very tough to to as I was saying to just to develop in your career and then become 
uh, a season international. Now it has helped in the last year that you scored a few goals for Ireland. That's that'll obviously improve and help his confidence. That's all you're hoping for with Celtic now for the next little while is that he plays. But he's also in an environment there at Celtic that's completely different to Norwich where the pressure he's going to be under to not just be playing and have that sense of really playing, not just to enjoy it and do it, whatever, but like he's gonna to have to be producing. Like, you know, we had an assist the weekend, he's gonna have they're gonna be expecting to score like they have to score goals and deliver points because obviously they're in a serious title race now with Rangers, the way things are going there as well. So like that's a it's gonna be a big a big test of his character over the next little while. And you just hope that he actually can stay fifth for it and and can do it. And that'll be another challenge for him and will hopefully speed up a more of his development because it is going to be a serious amount of pressure he's under, even though it is only a long move. And then with Sam, with Sam Porras, I think even when he was when when he when he kind of signed, even listening to the stuff from Chris Wilder, is definitely I don't think he's someone who make is be playing in the Premier League this year. Like in terms of it's definitely a sense that he'll be going in. Now could be totally different if he goes in and and hits the ground running and they're they see what he's like in that environment, but it does seem as if he's someone who are they be he be kind of having his powder kept droid for maybe even for next for next year and, and developing that way, um. But then, like with that, it's because you're you've seen him develop over the last one in the league of Ireland and have that just that composure for such a young player and play so many games. You kind of you kind of felt well. You wanted to see him straight away go into an environment where he what similar to Adam he just have that that challenge again. And then what happened for him, you never know. Like although like the the, the, the stay Sheffield United are in at the moment and the, the results they've had, it's almost not, not an environment you want to be throwing them into in terms of what am I what am I do from him if they do go down to the championship, perhaps he'll have more of a chance to, to break through there. But he's definitely someone who if you're looking at it will have the potential to go on and become an international. But again, he's shown great promise so far in the League of Ireland and how he settled in there for such young for such a young kid and just straight away just looked composed. That's what you're hoping now for in that next stage is that he just makes that makes that kind of the leap again because it's a altogether different ball game over at obviously Premier League or potentially then championship level. Yeah, and then uh, moving on to the Ireland women. So the friendly fixtures, and uh, this is all building up towards the European Championship qualifiers. Uh, they're playing Italy on the 23rd in Florence and then Wales in Tala four days later. And of course, Anthony, since uh, since our, I think the last episode of the soccer podcast towards the tail end of last year, Eileen Gleeson was confirmed as manager after her uh, very successful interim spell during the Nations League. And it seems rather than this month being one of revolution with the new manager, it's going to be just uh, a kind of conti- con- bit of continuity from the tail end of last year and a bit of evolution as well. Well, yeah, I mean, and you know, her hand got strong, stronger the longer the process went on for Eileen Gleeson because continuity is, is obviously something that she can offer. If some, a new manager had come in in December, um, they would have only had these two friendlies to prepare for for the the, the qualifiers. You know, we, and Ireland don't know who they're going to get the draws in March, early March, but they're going to get they're going to be in with the big guns. You know, having been promoted to League A. Uh, I think the two friendlies are are um, good picks, or I think they're two good friendlies uh, because you know Wales thirty second in the world in the world, uh, but quite progressive. They were unlucky in the World Cup playoff. They were beaten by Switzerland, um, but they're 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 improving. They're they're a decent side, and then Italy are fourteenth in the world, and and it'll be a good test. And they're sort of it's a good bridge for them because the Nations League, you know, in all fairness, all due respect to the other teams in, in Ireland's group, like the. It was a pretty weak group, and if Ireland are going to commit to this new style of playing, which was we're told that they absolutely are in terms of being more um, 
aggressive with the ball and, and and trying to keep hold of it more and play a little higher up the pitch, which is that what we've seen throughout the Nations League very successfully. And then, you know, the stress tests will be will come when they play really good sides. And Italy and Wales are better than what they would have played in, in the Nations League, but they're not the USA. It's not England, you know, where you could you'd be ripped to shreds if you're not quite there yet in terms of plans. So it's a good opportunity to evolve a little more. Uh, it's funny, you know, we're talking about like this kind of high profile job and what it can do and, and the challenges of it. You know, Eileen Gleason has already spoken when she was unveiled in December. She said, you know, it's, it's weird that she suddenly, she's been in the game for decades, you know, the Irish women's game for decades. And now she's suddenly getting recognized on the street and people are asking for selfies and it's all a little bit, you know, it's it's, it's overnight, you know, that kind of change. And it, it takes a little time to catch your head around that. Um, but look, she's, she's, she's earned the chance to, to get this and, you know, you talk about how different international jobs are. Like her last job was with Glasgow City, uh, her last club job, and, and it didn't go very well for her. But that doesn't mean that she's not going to be a success here. I think she's got every chance. Um, She had a perfect campaign, the United, uh, Nations League campaign. I think she was the right person at, at the right time coming off the back of the World Cup, which was such a, an emotionally draining experience. Um on and especially off the pitch with, with how Vera Powell's reign ended. Uh, that team were jaded. You know, they were emotionally jaded coming back from Australia. And there was an awful lot of frustration, which obviously simmered. Diane Caldwell laid it out in a press conference uh, after after Vera Powell went uh, and really sort of lifted the lid on a lot of the issues that we had heard for, for those of us who were in Australia. There had been whispers that people, the squad wasn't happy with, with some of the aspects around training and, and how the team has been set up and managed and things like that. So she she was the arm around the shoulder that they needed. Uh, I thought Emma Bourne and Colin Healy were, were two smart picks for the backroom team, but that backroom team may well change. I don't know. if I, I think there could be a, a reshuffle I'm actually surprised we haven't heard more about that to this point. I thought we would have in January. I thought that the backroom team would have been confirmed because there's no guarantee they're going to be kept on. There might be a feeling that they were the right people for then. Um, but you know, Mark Canham has has spoken. He 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 has a vision for 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 that team, and uh, Eileen Gleeson is, is buying into that vision. And and with that, there might be a couple of fresh faces in the backroom team. But it's it's a big year for them again. You know, like. The qualifiers in April, they could be up against Spain or in England or, or Germany. They're in with the big ones, but the, the, the potential prize, if they manage to finish in the top three, top two of that four-team group, they're there. They're in Switzerland uh, in 2025 for the Euros. And if they come, even if they come third or fourth, bottom of the group, they're, they're, they're the safety net of the playoffs. So um, lots going for them, lots of opportunity. But, you know, the expectation has never been higher now. I think they're all very aware of that. Uh, and they haven't been shy about airing their ambitions and what yeah. they expect from themselves, but that you know that will bring a certain kind of pressure and spotlight on them. But um, they're looking good. They're looking good, and um, there's some exciting talent coming along as well. You know, not least Tara O'Han. And speaking about Irish transfer, she, I mean, she got yeah, a move to Manchester City, City yeah. in January, yeah. and she's a great prospect, Raf. She, she's a really talented player. I mean, she would have been involved in the Nations League. She was just unlucky with injury. That's the only reason she wasn't. Um, and I think the other really significant transfer for Ireland in January was Izzy Atkinson to Crystal Palace because I, I just think that she, in the here and now, is, is very important uh, to Ireland because she is a lefty. She can play on the left and um, offers balance, but she frees up Katie McCabe. It, it allows, it allows fluidity, fluidity in how you use Katie McCabe 
um, that you're so capable of going in and doing that role and can play Kate at McCabe centrally or even if you start Katie left back you have an option to, to move her centrally move her around the pitch um, Liverpool played Arsenal yesterday and they didn't have a left foot player on the pitch for the first time this season for the, the, the starting 11 didn't have a left foot player on the pitch uh, and I think it hurt them I think you know that having natural width on your left side is really important so I think Izzy Atkinson going to Crystal Palace she scored yesterday uh, or at the weekend and uh, her getting minutes is is good. It's good for her, and, and I think it's good for Ireland. Yeah, Abby Larkin, of course, joining her there as well. And uh, then Megan Campbell has made the move to London City Lionesses, and all that was on uh, deadline day, which was actually um, came b- the day before the, the men's deadline day, where I think the biggest move actually happened in Formula One rather than uh, in football. But anyway, uh, President's Cup final, David. Um, so this is this Friday, and it's sort of the starting gun for the for the new season and Shamrock Rovers obviously looking to build from a position of strength Pats seem to have made some very interesting transfer moves the game itself okay okay we can't read too much into it in terms of what that will mean for the season but mm. what have you made of the the moves both teams have made during the off season um well obviously start starting with Rovers I suppose like obviously they've kept players which is important like they've kept Rory Gaffney and they've kept Jack Bourne and it's kind of maybe underestimated that they, there were serious offers in for, for for those players from around the league and, and options there. So it was important that they obviously were able to to keep those players. And it's also very telling that with in terms of Raw with Rory Gaffney that as soon as as soon as he they had won the league and that was kind of boxed off, he was one of the players who they made sure they were able to then to because he's going to be still so so important. They brought Obviously, Johnny Kenny back in, um, on on loan from from Celtic, they kind of main, maintain that, and then obviously Trevor Clark is there as well. So they kind of brought in, but maintain that kind of does, but then also like bringing in Dara Bournes, like is it's kind of it's like I remember he was he was one of the players who, who was up for for media duties the week before last, and he just had a really tough time. But obviously, when he went over to uh, to MK Dons between. Getting injured after after a couple of months when he had kind of broken into the team and was and was getting minutes and getting games, then having three different managers in such a short space of time while he was there, and then you kind of forget you kind of that obviously going through that you kind of forget just how much of an impact he was having for Pats before he left and and what he was able to do in terms of like coming he can play like Anthony was talking about kind of offering balance like he can play on that left hand side but he can also play on that right hand side he has that ability to be able to do to it to do on both you think back to that. It was a few years ago now, that first game in the that first game of the season, I think it was, um, for between Pats and Shells a few years ago when he scored that unbelievable goal at oh, at, yeah. um, at Talca Park, and he just has that he has that capability in him in the league. It's like, another Rovers have kind of added another another game changer. You look at last season when they were struggling, even going back to the season before when they were scoring late goals and they were getting like, they, they, Maybe when Jack Bourne was out of the team, they had little moments in games where they just weren't able to find that little bit of magic and they were maybe losing a game or drawing a game. Like Dara Bourne is the sort of player who can just, on the days when they are finding the tough, can just produce something out of nothing. So he could be um, really impressive for them. It's going to be interesting. I know like the fact that the Alan Manis has left, he's been so like just so solid there since for the last number of years under under Stephen Bailey when he when he came back to the club and. Obviously, Liam Paul looks as if he's going to be the going to be the first choice. That that is, there's no getting away from it. That is going to be a question mark there in terms of how how that kind of settled in with the with the defense. It's not as if he's like a new keeper coming into the team into the club who isn't has to get used to the players. Like 
he's been there for a few years. They all know him. You speak to players even like last year when maybe when it was they knew obviously Manus was leaving, they all spoke very positively about him and, and what he offers. But the fact is he hasn't been playing consistently. So there's going to be a question mark there. So that that would be one where like Stephen like Stephen Bailey made a point last year that last year was the year they felt that they could have been caught because of how they were how they kind of were stuttering during the season. Now they as the season wore on, they finished it very strongly and then they, they won the league comfortably. But like they, I don't I don't think they'll be able to afford it this year. You would hope you would think that and hope that clubs like Pats and also Derry, who only added a couple of players like Patrick Hogan coming in, um and Daniel Kelly, they're the only players at Derry because like even Rudy Higgins talking about he was happy with the squad, he just wanted that goal scorer to come in and someone and obviously also a winger, but he just wanted that experience uh to come into it to come into his squad who have been successful and when the going gets tough maybe like Huben because he's said he thrives on it himself when the pressure is on to actually be delivering because it's not getting away from it Derry just weren't capable of capitalising on Rovers last year like you know when Rovers were, were slipping and the same went for Pats different scenario because obviously John Daly came in as, as manager from assistant last year and had a had a great impact obviously they, they, they won the cup and they've obviously they've lost a couple of players they've, they've brought in some players but there's still that question mark about how will will they will Pat's kick on and you know if last season's not the goal boy with obviously with the impact that John Daly had, you would like to think that they can, but you also want to see Derry. I think Derry are still the ones I, I feel over the last couple of years have been now kind of building towards this. Do you know what I mean? In terms of a challenge, and I think Derry are the ones who you'd be looking at really and saying that they have to do a lot more to put it up to Rovers next season. Yeah, and you mentioned two of those clubs, Derry and Pats, on uh, Friday 1st of March. That's going to be uh, our second live game of the season um, for, for this season. Before that, on the opening night, we'll have Shamrock Rovers against Dundalk. So that's Friday, 16th of February, Tallis Stadium at 7.45pm. Uh, and as I said, Derry and Pats on the 1st of March. And then the 15th of March, we'll have our third live game of the season, Galway United against Shamrock Rovers. And then on the 29th, we'll have Shamrock Rovers against Bowes in the Derby at Tallis Stadium. And before we go, we'll just touch on a bit, a little bit of Premier League. Obviously, yesterday, Arsenal beat Liverpool 3-1 in a game uh, that had its fair share of errors at the back from, from both sides, kind of a bit of calamity um, on that side. But uh, Anthony, I suppose the, the wider narrative around Liverpool with this procession towards the end of Jurgen Klopp's uh, tenure, I guess it has it is sinking in for Liverpool supporters, but it has had to be parked for the for the moment, given there's uh, challenges in terms of a Carabao Cup final to come, uh, the FA Cup uh, as well. And then, of course, uh, trying, well, still being top of the Premier League and Man City breathing down their neck. Yeah, oh, and the, the players have to try and park that, but it's not going to be parked. Like every single game is is one chalked off the list. And, you know, if Liverpool start to stutter, There'd be lots of chat about, you know, what, why did they announce it when they did? And, you know, is, is this affecting the players? And they look so strong and now suddenly they wobbled. Like, I think, uh, like, if Liverpool don't win the league, it's just it just won't be quite good enough. It's not going to be for any other reason. Like, looking at it now, it, it looks like Manchester City could easily have this league win with a, a couple of games to spare um, because they look like the best team in the league. You know, they're the best team in Europe. And I thought yesterday... Um, you know, Liverpool just didn't turn up. Arsenal played well. Uh, it was they, they had to win Arsenal. I think if Liverpool had won, that, that was it really for them. They would have been done and dusted in terms of a, a realistic title charge. But at the same time, like 
you know, all the flaws were on show. You know, Arsenal completely dominated the game and it was one all at half time. The only reason they regained control was because of an absolutely incredible error involving Allison and Van Dijk. I mean, look, how often do you see that? You probably never see that type of thing again with two, two elite players. Um, but that's how the game swung. It was, it was a calamitous error. Actually, Liverpool kind of sorted themselves out a little bit in the second half and the game was probably heading for a draw. Uh, and that's that's you know that's the kind of team Arsenal are at the minute. I think they're probably a really top attack and threat shy of, of pushing City to the pin. The collar. And I, I, the thing is with last season, I I don't think that was a real title race last season. I thought City won the league pretty com comfortably. Um. So, you know, are Arsenal better than they were this time a year ago? I I don't know. Like I I I think Declan Rice is obviously brilliant, a great signing for them, and he's stiffing them up in the middle of the park, but. I'm not sure. I, I don't. I think that the asset test will can Arsenal go to the Etihad and win. I, I don't think they can, and I don't think they will. Uh, and Liverpool are are probably, uh, I wouldn't say a false position, but um, they're they're a flawed team who are going to need a lot to go for them to to pull it off. And and I think the chief thing, and this probably applies to Arsenal as well, is like the thing that they need to go from is for City to to wobble, <laughs> and it's just really difficult to to see that. Yeah, especially uh, once saw Kevin De Bruyne coming back and he's hit the ground running and now Haaland thrown in as well. So it's almost like the proverbial new signings. But uh, before we go, I did want to touch on uh, Connor, Connor Bradley, uh, David, and obviously talks with his family with the, the passing of his uh, father um, a few days ago um, as well. But he had sort of burst onto the scene and his emergence has really captured the attention here um, and especially midweek uh, against Chelsea the way he took those way he took his goal and then his assists as well it, you know lots of potential there yeah no absolutely and even like <laughs> obviously he breaks through and obviously you look back at even the loan spell he had with Bolton and again I, I, I probably repeat myself a little bit but it goes back to what I was saying about what I say Adam Eda and some of the players where like he had that challenge and stood out at that level. You know, we went there and had that challenge and rose to it. And like I know it's really little things, but like physically was able to maintain the level to 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 perform, which is which is a big thing. Like you can't get away from it. Like the jump from going from playing, say, academy football, 23s football, and then physically and mentally the demands of being placed in that environment. And he's shown. And then he's come into it, obviously, at Liverpool. And that's why you would be, you can be sure that Jurgen Klopp would have put him in because he's seen him on a, on a daily basis and knows that he's capable of maintaining those standards. You know, obviously he got his chance with obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold being being injured and just he he took it, but he's done what you have to do as a young player of when you do get a, a sniff of an opportunity, you have to impress. Now, like you still have to maintain an element of caution where where like. <sighs> It's he's still so new to this level where he like he has shown what he what he is capable of and the challenge for him is gonna be now over the next little while on a daily basis delivering it in training and because that's where he'll be almost judged even more harshly than than again that's because that's where he'll if he doesn't do it there he's not gonna be getting picked you know what I mean like he's had those moments in games where like like his goal he took against uh, Chelsea was was excellent but then also just some like that tenacity and the defense defensive instincts he had in I mean, it was for the first goal where obviously he wins the ball back but then he's on the full throw you know like very easily could have been right win the ball pass a square take the easy option relax with really. the he's kind of thrived and he's kind of got into that he, as we're saying he's got his opportunity and he's he's taken it and the hope for him will be to just maintain it I was making it's like it's 
so it's so obvious and it is is a point to be made across the board but it was the same with Evan Ferguson when he broke through at Brighton and he's obviously scored a couple of goals but you are more so hoping that you just see a level of consistency in his game all round game so like, that's what you'll, you'll, you'll be hoping to see with, with Conor Baddy for Liverpool fans is that he just gets to this level and shows that he's capable of just maintaining it you know and that's it's so difficult because you can be sure now over the next little while it, like it was said there about kind of Eileen Gleeson how her life changed as our manager like his life is going to change now over the last next little while in terms of the focus on him the, being obviously recognised all the, the different stuff that comes with now being looking well a Liverpool player not even just a Premier League player but a Liverpool player and like the, the pressure there's only so much more coming for him now and you would think if he's got to this point in his career, he clearly has the head for it. And that's what, that's what you hope now is that he can just deal with all the different challenges that are going to be coming. And obviously it's dreadful what he's going through now at the moment. But then when he does get back in football, that he's able to maintain the level he's at because what he's been producing has been, some of it has been obviously extremely eye-catching, but even just some of the basic stuff of, of how he's doing, he just looks so comfortable. And for a young player coming in at a club like Liverpool, is it's phenomenal to see because like it's, it's you can only imagine the pressure and the strain that you'd be under to make sure you're performing, you know. Yeah, and uh, I suppose the final point as well, he got his international start with Northern Ireland quite early on as well. I think he's already up to something like thirteen caps. Yeah, but and that's another element. Obviously, they recognised early coming through. Obviously, people would say you know, obviously, wouldn't that go away for for the Republic of Ireland? But he obviously came through their system, and they recognised the potential that was in him. And like that, was saying about obviously, we being kind of captain and on an underage level, they clearly saw that this is a fella who, like, it was worth giving him those early caps because they felt well, this is a fella who's not only going to be going one way in his career because he has that ability to be able to deal with rising up the levels in, in football. So they obviously were able to to see it and you know fair play to them. Like they're the ones who have helped obviously in the, with the IFA of, of of developing and putting that time and work in. He's obviously done a tremendous amount of work himself, but he's someone who already at a young age between playing obviously regularly for Bolton when he was on loan there and obviously at international football and now obviously Premier League at 20 has a, a serious amount of, of experience behind him. But as we're saying, what he's going to be dealing with now over the next little while is going to be on, a, on another level. But if you are keep on rising through the, the different levels to this point, as we're saying earlier, like the hope is that you can just deal with it again. Yeah, for sure. But uh, that brings us to a close uh, for today. We'll be back next Monday when we'll be dedicating the bulk of our time to previewing the new SSE Artricity Premier Division season club by club and looking ahead to the start of the Champions League knockout stages as well. And perhaps there will be white smoke as well from the FAI headquarters by then as well. But who knows? Uh, but anyway, All David... hail Neil Lennon. All hail Neil Lennon. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see who it is. Uh, David, thanks very much for your time. And Anthony as well. Cheers, Rob. Cheers, man.